Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Hey, we're here today to encourage dads. And, uh, you know, as a part of our local church, Bethel Cleveland, we recognize, of course, with the rest of the nation. This is also Juneteenth, by the way. I just want to throw that in there. This is the day we celebrate. Actually, tomorrow is the holiday, but today was the day where two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation uh, that President Lincoln put forth in the uh, 1863, uh, that all slaves could be free, uh, it was taking a while for that to actually, it took the second half of the war for that to work out the Civil War. And, uh, and then about a month and a half, about six or seven weeks after the war ended, they finally had to send troops to Texas, Galveston, Texas, on June, what is today? 19th, June 19th, and uh, to remind them that this includes you. All slaves have been set free. So we just thank the Lord. Let's thank God for this day. We celebrate the freedom. Interesting day this year. It falls also on Father's. It's a new federal holiday. It just started last year, actually. So we want to recognize it and be glad that that's a part of our history and hopefully not a part of our present nor our future. So we thank the Lord for that. But it brings up the concept and thoughts and ideas because so much was damaged in our African-American community uh, that rolled out over the next 100 years and really became focused on in the 60s. Uh, the fatherless issue that I, that I mentioned earlier, and uh, it's, it's distressing. I preached so many sermons on this over the years about how do we get our fathers back? How do we get our fathers healed? Because fathers are a key to healing this nation. There's verses that I could read out of Malachi and places like that that would be highly appropriate that, that there's, there's a, a desire in scripture prophetically for the hearts of the fathers to be toward their children and their children toward the fathers. And if the fathers aren't there, it's difficult to do. I ran across this article this week. I just want to read it. It's out of a Chicago uh, counseling organization. I liked it. I'm just going to read a little part of it and we're going to get to scripture. It says this, being raised without a father. By the way, anything I say here is not meant to be detrimental to moms that are trying to raise their children and their father's not around. We totally understand that. We have great compassion for that. And actually the Lord can supply fathers to come in and help and minister mentors, teachers, coaches, whatever that we can pray and believe and supply to come in and bring healing and strength into kids that are, that are uh, surviving with the influences as a mom and trying to understand what it is to have a father in the midst of that. So being raised without a father, and again, this is a secular article, which means it was not written in a Christian magazine or paper. That's really all, all it's about. Being raised without a father is especially a problem for boys as fathers play a major role in regulating the aggression of boys. Let me just say something here real quick. There's a difference between boys and girls. I know we have great question on that nationally right now. What is a woman? Nobody knows. What is a man? No one's quite sure. They're afraid to say or they might be canceled. There's a difference. And by the way, part of that difference 
is, is that boys tend toward greater aggression. It's kind of built into them from the beginning. It's not a cultural thing. Cultural things do come along and influence it. But uh, I mean, my grandson, I'm reminded of it again with a, I've got two grandsons, two granddaughters, and my grandson starts every sentence with, I want more food. It's like, all right. None of the girls do that. He does it every time. The other day he said, Papa, I love you. I'll go, okay, well, that's, that's the emotion of little boys, you know. And so I kind of feel that way sometimes too. I start off my sentences with a growl like that. It seems to work, you know. So fathers play a role in regulating the aggression of boys and teaching them how to proper, properly harness their aggression. If one respects their father, who generally stands as a proxy for authority, generally, proxy for authority, this respect is likely to generalize in other purveyors of authority in non-domestic sphere, example, school teachers, employers, law enforcement officers. In order for boys to develop into socially, being socially sophisticated, so part of sophistication in men and women is to put away childish things. So hopefully when Maxwell's 20, he stopped growling. You know, I try to, and I've got rid of most of it, you know. So uh, they, they get that socially sophisticated, disciplined, academically astute, responsible, and professionally accomplished men. This is not a sacred Christian article. This is a, a secular article. So contribute to the welfare of society, they need their fathers to be a regular presence in their lives. Fathers have to commit to the commitment they made when they heard, I'm pregnant. They now start gearing up and saying, there's things I need to learn. Even if your dad was not a good dad, you learn how to become a good dad really quick. And some start off, you know, okay, and then, it's wearisome, it's difficult, it's a challenge. I know I had four kids and it, uh, you know, there's times it's, it's difficult and, and it never ends, by the way. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 65, been married 44 years. I've got child turning 40 uh, this year. I, I mean, there's, I still get calls. I still get uh, asked for advice. You know, uh, the asking for money has kind of passed away, but that, that was a phase that we had to go through. And... Now listen to this. So boys need that. They need a dad around. But we say, well, what about girls? Well, it's interesting. In this article, it says, as for girls, they need their fathers to serve as proxies for authority and discipline also. So apparently there's some girls that growl along the way or, or do something different. I don't know what. But it, I had three girls and the Lord taught me about them uh, a lot uh, when I was growing up. And it's a whole different ball game. Let me just tell you that. To raise girls and raise boys, and I've had the, the blessing to do both. So they need authority and discipline too from a father. And it just doesn't mean that moms can't give it. I'm just telling you there's something with dads and there's something with moms. Moms give amazing nurture and care, and dads do too, but really not like a mom. And, and in the same way of a father is not, uh, you know, or mom's not, not totally like a a father would in the discipline and the authority. But they also need to affirm their daughters, 
their value and to teach them that they, what, what they ought to expect from a man. This is key. You know, they say that a lot of girls marry their dads. Some reflect, reflection of their, of their father. And I don't know if that's true. I haven't investigated. I've read that many times though. But there's something about an expectation of what they can expect from men in the future from what they get from their father and respect and love and care and a listening voice and all those things. Unfortunately, if such a paternal presence isn't there, there's a high probability that the girl may grow up with low self-esteem and accept untoward treatment from men because even untoward treatment is preferred over not being shown any attention at all. Now, some of you go, well, that's a generalization. Of course it is. It's based on statistics. But it shows you in our culture, there are different challenges with our kids, with little girls and little boys. And there's different roles for moms, which we talked about a month ago, and for dads. And dads are really key. And right now, across America, dads are failing in some big ways. And so I want to talk to you about this today because... There is the potential in Jesus Christ as a dad. I'm talking to dads today. And again, I don't want to bring any condemnation. If you're a single mom, we're here to help you and do whatever we can. There's a lot of organizations that will help you along the way and mentoring and all those kinds of things. And I believe also that God gives out a great grace to moms and single moms. And I'm only saying that because there are a lot of single moms in America caring for three, four, five, sometimes 10 or more children. Where fathers have abandoned them and they're struggling to get along. And we, you know, we understand that. And we, we prayed for that a month ago. And we really continue to stand with you in anything that you may need help for. But I'm just speaking to dads right now because dads sometimes get frustrated. There is a cultural pushback on fathers right now, big time. It started about 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, they started, there was a, a tangible shift even in uh, shows that came out back then on TV or then Netflix or Hulu or whatever uh, your choice of, uh, of viewing uh, entertainment is. And men started to be demeaned left and right uh, in very obvious ways. Dad jokes are fine. We all get those. I brought some with me if you need some more. But I think that was well covered there in the uh, video that we just saw. So we go through all these different things, but, but men have been questioned. And now women, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, it's happening in culture, women are passing up men in a lot of different areas. 51% of people getting bachelor degrees, bachelor's degrees in America right now are women, first time in history. I mean, uh, women's salaries are increasing radically. We now have a woman vice president. We, there all kinds of ceilings are being broken. You say, well, they should have been broken 30 years ago. Arguably, yes, maybe 50 years ago, maybe 100 years ago, but they weren't, but they're breaking now. We're seeing it happen as, as women are, are uh, emerging in so many different ways around our culture. But in the midst of it, we want to see one another rise without the diminishing of someone else. We want to do that in everything. We want to honor people in such a way that we can all win together in Christ Jesus. And so men, you're struggling right now with understanding, uh, there's a lot of identity struggles with men. Uh, I've... I've worked with a lot of men one-on-one -on -one and in groups, talking with them about things they're going through, and I see it and I hear it all the time. They've, they've kind of lost their way. And so in Scripture, I want to look at uh, the, 
well, I referred to the verse of Malachi. Let me just quote it real quick. But it says that, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In other words, this sets the stage as one of the last prophecies of the Old Testament before 400 years of silence and the New Testament era emerges with Jesus Christ. So usually last words are pretty important. So the last words of the prophet were this, that before the great and dreadful day, that time of the coming of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What does that mean? It means that in these times that we consider to be the end times, there's a special grace for the heart of fathers to be turned to the children. What does that mean? That means that if you lean into a life of following Jesus Christ, there's a grace for you and your family. There's a grace to raise kids. There's a grace even if you had a very difficult past, and even though you might in your heart still despise your father, have difficulty with your father, maybe your father's passed on. I mean, I, I did, you know, I, I think I was naive growing up. I mean, I, I really loved my father, even though he was very much an absentee father. I just, I was unique in my chemistry where somehow that's all I knew. So I adapted to it and, uh, and adopted it in my life. I, my brother, my sister, I talk with them. They go, I think you were raised by a different father. I think by the time it got to me, I was the youngest that maybe my parents were exhausted, you know, and they just said, well, let him do whatever he wants to do. I don't know. I don't know, but I, I had a different uh, upbringing. And so uh, my father became my best man in my wedding. And it wasn't until later on, I, I started hearing of the difficulties and challenges of him as a younger person. See, when, he, when I was born into the family, they were, they, were, they were people growing also. They were learning how to live their life and how to be a good father, be a good mother. And so I realized that in that sense, I was fortunate to be born last I hopefully got into a situation where they were a little bit better at what they, were, what they were doing. But the hearts of the fathers turned to the children and then the hearts of the children to their fathers. It's interesting, it's not the other way around. The kids went over their dads. Dads have the greatest influence. And according to this, this thing, this, this, I will send you Elijah the prophet, uh, he, Elijah the prophet, the voice of reason is coming from the Holy Spirit in order to keep a curse from coming upon the land. With 35% of white families with, with only one parent and 65% of black African-American families with only one parent, we are heading like a, a steamroller toward a curse over this nation. Forget the shedding of innocent blood through abortion for a moment. I mean, this alone stands as another area that America needs revival. America needs an awakening. And by the way, that starts, we're always waiting for it out here. It starts in your heart. It starts in your heart before God saying, Lord, let me be revival. Stir my heart right now. Make me, Lord, understand the ways of a good, good father. It says, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So let me share with you a little story here about two different uh, people and how they responded to difficult parenting and difficult fathering and not having the right example. 
and how one guy figured it out. And you gotta go back to the Old Testament to do this. Go back to 2 Kings 21 if you could. And if you have your Bible, get your Bible out. If it's on your phone, get your phone out. I want you to see this in front of you. We're looking it up at 2 Kings. If you're on the Bible Hub or Bible Gateway, it's really easy uh, to find 2 Kings in the Old Testament, right about in the middle of the Old Testament, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. And 2 Kings is about kings, obviously. It's the second book about kings, about great kings of Judah and Israel and how they were led and how they were raised and how they were bred and all that came up with them. By the way, there were more evil bad kings than there were good ones, particularly in Israel, a little less so in Judah. And we all understand we're all all people. I'm not, you know, I was a son before I was a father. So I was influenced as a son. I'm still a son even though my father went to be with the Lord 20 years ago, last month. I'm still a son, in a sense, but I'm a son learning to be a father and now learning to be a grandfather. I'll never forget. I told the story a couple months ago for some other sermon, but it came to me this week too, that my father, when I was 19 years old, became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's the kind of guy that when he gets into something, he gets totally into it. And so he became a radical. I mean, a radical verbalizer of the power of Jesus Christ, you know. It's amazing. really was. Everywhere he went. But he also started internally. This took a little bit longer. But you can do the externals knowing what God's called you to do. But the internals begin to shift, which is what I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that you do not have to stay where you are. That actually the power of God, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ in your life His precious blood that was shed on the cross, when you bring that into your life through a belief in your heart and a confession with your mouth, something supernaturally happens where you begin to be shaped into the very image of Jesus Christ who is the eternal Father. Wow. So things start to change. You start to behold yourself in a mirror called the Word of God, the Bible. And you see how you're changing from where you were to where God has dreamed for you to be. You start to look at the word of God about being a dad, being a good man or whatever. What started happening to my dad? And I'll never forget, he he and my mother, they were living in Louisiana at the time. I was speaking at a conference uh, in uh, Dallas, Texas with my good friend, Mark DuPont. And uh, a lot of things happened there. It It was an interesting weekend. And my parents decided to drive over three hours to see me in Dallas. So they came over and we had a great time together. And I was there, I was kind of focused on doing what I did, but we got to eat a little bit together and hang out and so forth. And they asked me before one of the sessions, said, look, we, you know, obviously we love you. We're excited to be here. And we heard you speak last night. Would you mind if we went to hear Mark DuPont and just see what he had to say? So of course not. In fact, I was a little less nervous with them being in the other room, you know. And there's, it's a deal when you speak in front of your father, who is a great orator, you know? So, so you go, yes, please go to the other room. And uh, he went in there, and my, my good friend, Mark DuPont, who's also on our board here at this church and has served there for 25 years, preached one of his stellar messages on the Father Heart of God. I don't know what he said, but I've been around Mark long enough to know. Anyway, when he gets out, we ended up, my, my dad comes up and said in his ceremonial way, like, uh, my mom and I would like to take you out to lunch, talk with you about some things. 
Now, you know, I grew up where that's, that's not the dream lunch. It's like, oh no, what did I do now? You know, you need to talk to me about some things, you know. Okay, I always let people in church now do that. I get that like my whole life now. Pastor Steve, I need to meet with you Tuesday if possible. There's some things we need to talk about. It's almost ever, never, hey, you've been doing an amazing job. This is awesome. That's all I wanted to say. All right, let's get a coffee, you know. It's always, well, the music's too loud. There's a guy in front of me that, that holds his arms up in front of me every Sunday. And I, to that, I say, well, we'll move a couple seats down. I have all these great recommendations to give people when they face challenges. <laughs> and my dad, so he takes me out. And they get real, <clears throat> you know, clearing their throat, which is a family trait, clearing their throat and everything else. And okay, what your mom and I wanted to talk to you about. And I'm like, you know, little drums in the background, music is rising. And I'm there like, oh boy, you know, I'm in my Holy Spirit mode, ready to, to get the gut punch, you know. And he said, did you feel growing up that I loved you? And I was like, wait, that wasn't on my list of potential questions. It took me off guard. I didn't know how to answer that. And I said, well, uh, there they are staring at me. They just came out of a seminar, you know, and I thought, yeah. I had to think for a minute. I'm processing it. I mean, there were difficult times and challenges as in every family. But my point is he had come to a point, by that time he was about uh, 48, 49, 50 years old, somewhere around there. Yeah, even a little older now. He's in his 50s. In his 50s, he's assessing, did I do? Because now he's getting revelation. Now he's getting understanding. And so I said, he, the Lord, Holy Spirit fortunately rescued me and said, tell him this. You can say it with honesty. And I said, I knew that you did not have a good upbringing and that your father never told you that he loved you. Because I, I, he had told me that once before. And I said, so I think with that kind of a history, you did a pretty good job. And he was really satisfied with it. But he said, well, I want you to know that I love you dearly. And, you know, I did the man thing. I'm like, I think I'm going to go to the restroom just a minute. <laughs> I was in the restroom. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's the way we, we deal with some things. Not so much millennials. Millennials are fine to cry in front of everyone, but baby boomers, not so much. So there's change that can come. You can be 40 years old, 50 years, you'll be on your grandkids now. You can repair poor parenting in your grandkids, and we usually normally do anyway. I'll let them eat the chocolate, it's amazing. They'll grow out of it later. I mean, we got all kinds of great advice we give. Fill them with sugar and send them back home, you know. That's what grandparents do. But you can change and you can learn how to love your children in a way that maybe you didn't. And I know I'm not saying you didn't love your children. I'm talking about expressing, expressing the depths of what's going on inside of you, letting them know who they are, speaking. The, I love the end of the video there where they start battling about good things to say, you know. It's, it's amazing. And I, and I do want to thank the, the millennial generation has learned how to do this in a great way. And I've learned a lot from observing them and reflecting it in my own life of how to communicate in ways that are honest and true and build up the next generation and not having to focus on the faults and difficulties and challenges. 
you know, which I think the last generation was raised to do. And so in 2 Kings 21, 21, it says this, Am, Ammon, who was a king, was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth. Whew, got through it. Good name, by the way, if you're looking for a baby name. Meshulameth, daughter of Haruz, another good name for a little girl, of Jatba. That's just south of Brunswick. Verse 20, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. This 22-year-old kid did evil. Look what it says. As his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all of his ways that his father had walked. He served the idols his father had served and worshiped them. He forsook the Lord of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. That happens to a lot of people today. Over time, they begin to move away from what their heavenly father has taught them to walk in and they walk in the ways of their father that they might have actually despised here on earth, but they come more and more like their fathers on earth. For quiet in here. It's really true, though. I've seen it happen over and over again. And anyway, the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. We've had it with this 22-year-old. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son, Josiah, king in his place. So in 2 Kings 22, verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old. Now, let me just remind you, jo Josiah's dad, was, he was eight. He watched his father get killed. His father was not a good man. He was evil, and his grandfather was evil. That's not a good start, is it? Eight years old, watch your, your father viciously murdered an evil man. I don't know what his response would have been. Would it have been sadness? Would it have been joy? You know, when you got a dad that's evil, how's that trickle down into his son's heart? Now he's eight years old. Do you know an eight-year-old? I know a seven-year-old, and I don't think that in a year she's ready to, to rule over a, a, a country. But at eight years old, here's what happens with Josiah. This shows you it doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've been through, there is hope in Jesus Christ. So Josiah, here we are. Second Kings chapter 22, verse one, was eight years old when he became king. He reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of, oh my, these are killing me, that, that person of that place. <laughs> and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yes. Can you believe it? A dad that was evil, grandfather was evil, raised on the wrong side of the track and the wrong people, the wrong place, the wrong time. This poor young boy had something drop in his lap he was not capable of doing. So what's he do? He turns to the Lord and he follows the Lord and he mimics what he knows God would want him to do. He takes on a lifestyle and transforms himself. He's willing even at 50 some years old to be able to say to his son out of lunch one day to be able to say, did I love you in the way that you needed to be loved? That's what fathers do. Fathers never kind of grow out of being a father. So it says here that, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, walked in all the ways of his father, 
Oh, look at this. His father, David. Wait, 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 wait. David wasn't his father. Let's go back here in the genealogies. Uh, his father was, uh, 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 what was his name? Yeah, it was Anun, right? So he's adopted a new father, and it was the great king, David, who had the father's heart. By the way, David was, was somewhat despised from his father also. The last one in the field to be choose to be king and he went through all the brothers first, and, and uh, Samuel said, well, is there no other? I, I'm sure it was one of your sons that's going to be the next king. There's all these mighty men standing there, the sons of Jesse. Jesse goes, well, he says, basically, I got another son, but he's out in the field. He's a shepherd. He's kind of ruddy and short with red hair, but uh, small hands, the Bible says. But uh, I can bring him in. He brings him in, and as soon as Samuel sees him, he goes, this is the king. I mean, do you think there wasn't a little bit of a, an attitude in David from that point? I'm like, well, thanks. I'm the last person. I barely got a footnote. He came in, but sure enough, God wanted to touch him. So this is who he aligns himself with, Josiah. He looks and says, he says that he was walked in all the ways of his father David and did not turn to the right or to left. You go to the next chapter in 2 Kings, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, next, uh, down to verse 10. It says, And Shaphan, uh, the scribe, showed the king uh, as the priest gave him a book, and Shaphan read it before the king, which was the, the Torah, basically. And it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. So Josiah is going through a transformation as he hears the word of God. He's like, there's more. I want to follow after the heart of David. I want to become a great king. And so it says in 2 Kings 23, jump with me over to 23. He's going through this transformation in his heart of conversion. In verse three of chapter 23 of 2 Kings, it says, and then the king stood by a pillar. And I don't think that was by accident. I was going to bring one of our pillars. We got a couple of them in there from our play. I was going to bring one out here, but I'm not sure it would stand up. It's made out of plastic or something, you know, some kind of, it just, it's not a real pillar. But he stood by the pillar which stood of strength. There's a symbol and a reminder to him of strength because every father is a pillar. And he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments. Every man has to come to a place in his life where they make a covenant before God. And they say, I'm going to follow after you and I'm going to keep your commandments, Lord. I'm going to follow in your ways. I ask that Jesus Christ would be formed in my heart and his testimonies, it says, and his statues with all of his heart, with all of his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. Now, I can't read it all because it just takes so much time. We're almost done here. But it had phrases that included things like this. You remember that aggression thing of little boys? Did you know you can be aggressive, guys, in the spirit? Like you could protect in a, I, I saw something yesterday where, where it said, uh, uh, men are meant to be dangerous. And you want a danger, I know who it was, it was, uh, it was Jordan Peterson, uh, the famous psychologist from, uh, psychiatrist from Toronto. And he said, we need dangerous men but dangerous men who have self-control. 
and they know how to protect and how to create an atmosphere of I have nothing to fear because my father is here. But here's what he did, Josiah, as he became matured in an understanding of his father, David. The Bible says, here's some phrases. He took a stand. He, he burned the, the idols. He removed them. He brought them out. He tore them down. He broke them down. He defiled them. He removed them. He pulverized them. He threw their dust. He burned the bones. He took it away. He put it away. Women typically don't do that. This is a man thing. In the spirit, he learned how to get violent against the powers and forces of hell in his own life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 23, it said, now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did anyone arise like him. Men know how to stand in a gap. Men will not put up with water in the basement. They might panic for a minute, but then they, they move appropriately. They will not allow water in the basement. They will not allow insects in the house. <laughs> I was waiting for it. It finally came. They do not allow your lawn to grow a foot high. but also they do not allow a marriage to drift. They don't allow your children, their children to wander. And they cannot live a mediocre spiritual life because it demands action and men are men of action. Let's all stand together if we could. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.